0: Who's the biggest threat, not just on land, but in space? China, that's the word from US Space Chief General Saltzman, and trailing not far behind, Russia. As for where America is in the space race, so far, the US is still holding first place. But can the land of the free keep that title? Saltzman warns the field is getting much more crowded in the race for space, and has grave implications for Earth. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In the space race, China is the most challenging threat facing America. That's what U.S. Chief of Space Operations General Bradley Chan Saltzman said over the weekend. He adds that Russia is now following China and that space development has fundamentally changed. Here are the details. He says a growing
1: arms race has altered the space paradigm. Nations are acquiring weapons like anti-satellite missiles, ground-based directed energy, and orbit interception capacities. The start of the current space race could be seen as early as 1985 when the U.S. fired a missile to shoot down a satellite. China did the same in 2007, and India followed in 2019. Russia shot down a satellite as recently as late 2021. Saltzman says that instead of missiles shot at satellites, laser weapons or powerful microwaves could cause damage more efficiently. He predicts that space is going to become more crowded, so having standards of conduct in place would make
0: things safer. Saltzman says the U.S. is still leading the space race. But what makes space so important for national security and military purposes? The same technology used in space can also function as intelligence-gathering tools. That includes more mundane information on weather tracking, communication and navigation, all the way up to missile launches and nuclear detonations. That information also supports land, sea and air operations. And it even takes it a step further, the moon. As the space race turns more commercial, prospects are growing for outer space mining, specifically for metals and other resources on the moon. Matt Deans is the executive for NASA's Space Technology Research Grants program. He says there are certain metals the U.S. might be able to extract from the moon and that we need to start manufacturing with them if the U.S. plans to build on the moon. At the same time, China's investments in space have increased, highlighting Beijing's ambitions. Last year, a Chinese rover called Chang'e-4 landed on the back of the moon. It discovered trillions of tons of metals under the lunar surface. So far, only spaceships from the U.S., Russia and China have successfully landed on the moon. Russia-China relations reaching new milestones. That's what Russian President Putin said Wednesday, when China's top diplomat visited Moscow. The Chinese official told Putin that relations between Beijing and Moscow couldn't be influenced by other countries. Other nations are closely watching the visit, for signs that Beijing might offer stronger support to the Kremlin for its war in Ukraine. Here's more.
2: Vladimir Putin on Wednesday welcomed China's top diplomat Wang Yi to the Kremlin. The Russian president hailed ties between the two countries and said that bilateral trade was better than expected. Russian-Chinese relations are developing just as we planned in previous years. Everything is moving forward, developing, and we are reaching new milestones. China is Russia's largest buyer of oil, one of the key sources of revenues for Moscow's state coffers. Putin told Wang that he was looking forward to a visit to Moscow by Chinese leader Xi Jinping. Wang told Putin that relations between the two countries had withstood the pressure from the volatile international situation and that crises offered certain opportunities. We would like to emphasize once again that the comprehensive strategic partnership between Russia and China has never been directed against a third party, and is certainly not subject to interference and provocation by any third party. What's more, we will not be overwhelmed by coercion and pressure from third parties. Wang earlier met Russia's Foreign Minister, Sergei Lavrov, saying that he looked forward to clinching new agreements during his visit to Moscow. There were no details on the agreements. Wang's visit comes after the U.S. expressed concerns in recent days that China could provide arms and ammunition to Russia. Beijing has denied providing military support to Russia. China has pointedly refused to criticize the invasion of Ukraine, while Russia in turn has staunchly supported China amid tensions with the U.S. over Taiwan.
0: A fever wave is plaguing schools in some of China's major cities. Classes have been called off. Though authorities say no one involved has tested positive for COVID-19. They say the fever symptoms come from the flu instead. But some residents say otherwise. Let's take a closer look.
3: According to Chinese media, some schools and kindergartens in Beijing, Shanghai and other major cities have recently reported large numbers of fever-stricken students. Some students in Beijing were ordered to quarantine at home for four days from Monday to Thursday. Other schools also suspended classes. Just last week, the Chinese Communist Party announced what it called a significant and decisive victory in its battle against COVID-19. But with school fever cases popping up, questions are emerging. Is it really just the flu, like authorities say? Or could it be another outbreak of the CCP virus which causes COVID-19?
2: Anyway, right now, even when it was COVID-19, the authorities would still say it was the flu. They confused people. You can't tell what's really going on. Otherwise, they say you're spreading rumors and leaking state secrets. You can be accused of any crime.
3: Another resident related the issue to one of Beijing's most important annual meetings. It's called the Two Sessions, where Communist Party members meet to discuss policy. It's scheduled to begin in early March. Every year, Chinese authorities often tighten their grip on the public ahead of the gathering.
2: Maybe it's to strengthen control and the regime is afraid that something like the White Hair Revolution will happen again. The regime doesn't have any credibility anymore. It just says what it wants to say. They've always been talking pure nonsense.
3: The white hair revolution refers to when tens of thousands of retirees in Shanghai, Wuhan, and other cities recently took to the streets. They gathered to speak out against cuts to their medical insurance benefits. Now,
0: to a legal dispute between a human rights activist and a Chinese embassy in the U.K., the London police force has dropped an investigation into activist Drew Pavlo. He was accused of emailing a bomb threat to the Chinese embassy. Let's zoom in.
1: A vocal critic of the Chinese Communist Party, the Australian was arrested last July as he was protesting outside the embassy in London. Pavlou was held for 23 hours by police who questioned him over an email which claimed he would blow up the embassy because of Beijing's repression of the Uyghurs. He denied the allegations and said he was framed by the Chinese regime. Police said he's now fully cleared of any wrongdoing. Campaigners say such fake email threats are part of a wider international
0: repression by authoritarian regimes. Australia's spy chief says his country is facing an espionage threat like never before. Mike Burgess, head of the country's intelligence service, told the Australian Broadcasting Corporation that the agency cleared out a hive of spies in the past year. He added that journalists, military veterans and members of the judiciary are prime targets of these activities. Burgess criticized former military personnel who have gone on to work for authoritarian regimes, saying they put cash before country. In one example, Burgess said an Australian senior journalist was lured to a foreign country on an all-expenses-paid study tour. During the trip, local officials approached him and obtained intelligence information about Australia. Months ago, Australian Defense Minister Richard Marles launched a related investigation. That's into claims that Beijing recruited former Australian pilots to train Chinese military staff. Armed with hypersonic missiles, a Russian frigate has arrived at South Africa. It's there for joint naval exercises with China and South Africa, scheduled for just before the first anniversary of the Ukraine war. What's more, the drills come alongside two U.S. leading military exercises in other parts of Africa. Here's the latest.
4: This is Russia's flagship frigate, equipped with new generation hypersonic missiles, arriving in South Africa's Richards Bay for joint naval exercises. That's according to Russia's Defense Ministry, which released this footage on Wednesday. The ship, named the Admiral Gorshkov of the Fleet of the Soviet Union, was arriving for the drills which include China and that South Africa calls routine. However, the exercises have fueled domestic criticism and fears they could endanger relations with Western partners. South Africa says it is neutral on the conflict in Ukraine. Last year it abstained from voting on a UN resolution condemning Russia. The start of the exercises off South Africa's eastern coast coincides with the first anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which Moscow calls a special military operation. (laughs) It also follows Russian President Vladimir Putin's decision, announced on Tuesday, to suspend its last major nuclear arms control treaty with the United States. The Gorshkov warship carries the Zircon missiles, which have a range of 560 miles. They can travel at several times the speed of sound, making them difficult to defend against. Putin has described them as unstoppable.
0: At the same time, the U.S. is leading a joint drill called the Justified Accord in East Africa. It's joined by more than 20 countries and aims to increase readiness for peacekeeping missions. Earlier this month, the U.S. and its allies also wrapped up the largest maritime exercise in Western and Central Africa. America's First Lady Jill Biden is visiting Africa. Her trip is part of U.S. efforts to step up engagement with the continent as a counterweight to China's influence there. The first lady departed for Namibia and Kenya on Tuesday. On her way, a reporter asked what it means for her to become the first member of the Biden administration to travel to Africa. Here's what she said.
2: Well, it's exciting. I mean, I think, the you know, this whole trip will be exciting and we
0: have a lot to accomplish and... The first lady will engage with youth and women's organizations during her five-day visit. The Chinese Communist Party's investment in African infrastructure has surpassed Washington's in the past decade. That Chinese money often gets financed through debt. Over the years, African nations have owed China more than $120 billion. China has a history of leveraging these debts to take over certain infrastructure, like seaports. Late last year, the U.S. announced an at least $55 billion investment in Africa over the next three years. Now we turn to the Indo-Pacific region. In the U.S. territory of Guam, the U.S., Australia and Japan are carrying out an air force exercise. It's another counterweight to Beijing's assertiveness in the region. On top of that drill anti-missile training is happening near the korean peninsula the u.s south korea and japan joined the exercise it's being considered a response to north korea's ballistic missile tests in recent days meanwhile beijing is speaking with its neighbor japan top diplomats from the two countries met in tokyo on wednesday and marks their first formal security talks in four years Chinese Vice Foreign Minister Sun Weidong told his Japanese counterpart that China was troubled by Japan's military buildup. He also criticized the nation for adopting, as he put it, a Cold War mentality. What's more, Sun labeled Japan's involvement in the Taiwan issue as negative. Japan replied by listing a number of its own concerns.
3: The situation surrounding the Senkaku Islands in the East China Sea the increased military activities by China in the vicinity of Japan, and cooperation with Russia, as well as the balloon-shaped flying objects that have been confirmed in our airspace in the past.
0: Japan has its own interest in China's stance toward Taiwan. Japan's southernmost island is less than 100 miles from Taiwan and would likely be involved if Beijing chose to launch an attack on Taiwan. Japan is pushing a record military spending jump this year, from 1% of its GDP to 2%. Radioactive materials from an underground nuclear test site. Officials say they may have polluted North Korea's groundwater. And now, citizens in four countries may be exposed to the danger. Here's more.
1: Tens of thousands of North Koreans, South Koreans, Japanese and Chinese could be exposed to radioactive materials. It may have spread through groundwater from an underground nuclear test site. According to the U.S. and South Korean governments, North Korea secretly conducted six tests of nuclear weapons at the Punggye-ri site between 2006 and 2017. Seoul-based human rights group, Transitional Justice Working Group, says radioactive materials could have spread across eight cities and counties near the site. More than a million North Koreans live there, and the site's groundwater is used in everyday living, including drinking. The report also said that neighboring South Korea, China, and Japan might be at risk due to agricultural and fisheries products smuggled from the north. Many outside experts have raised concerns over potential health risks from contaminated water. However, North Korea rejected such concerns, saying there were no leaks of harmful materials following past nuclear tests. However, no evidence was provided. Seoul and Washington have said Pyongyang could be preparing for a seventh nuclear test.
0: While the U.S. is working on decoupling from China, its biggest ally in Europe seems to be heading in the other direction. Germany's economic dependence on China has reached an unprecedented level. That's according to a study by the German Institute for Economic Research. The trend is evident in the doubling of its trade deficit with China in 2022, hitting an all-time high. Germany is home to the largest economy in Europe. And China has become its top trading partner. Amid warnings from Berlin to steer away from Beijing, the study's author cautioned that Germany is now moving in the wrong direction at a tremendous pace. German finance minister Christian Lindner shared a similar concern. He called the growing dependency a dangerous development, adding that there's an urgent need to rethink and switch to what he called value partners. The war in Ukraine has dented German trade with both Ukraine and Russia. But despite the trend, it's not China who's filling the gap. The nearly 30 countries in Central and Eastern Europe totaled 18% of Germany's total foreign trade last year. That's a larger share than China and the U.S. combined. Coming up, is the race for electric vehicles driving us toward dependence on an adversarial power? Ford Motor Company's new plan to work with Chinese tech is bringing the issue home. We hear from Kelly Sloan, Senior Fellow in Energy and Environment at the Centennial Institute, on what this means for U.S. national security going forward. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The race for electric vehicles is pushing national security into the spotlight. That's over fears of growing dependence on China and whispers of a new OPEC-like cartel forming over rare earth minerals. We sat down with Kelly Sloan, Senior Fellow in Energy and Environment at the Centennial Institute, for more. Kelly Sloan, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show.
5: Thanks for having me.
0: So, zooming into the kind of green or clean energy revolution that's happening right now, Ford has been making a lot of headlines lately. They're starting a new battery plant in the U.S., but it's going to be using Chinese technology. So, what's your take on this whole relationship?
5: Well, there's two things I mean, we have to look at it both from an economic and a strategic point of view. You know, obviously, from the economic side, you know, we uh, I'm a free trader. I believe you know we need to uh, be sourcing these materials from. Wherever it's most economically advantage advantageous to do so. Uh, however, there you know there is another another side to this. If you, if you remember back in 1970s, with the creation of OPEC, when you know f- uh, 15 16 countries that really didn't have the West's interests, in particular America's interests, at heart, uh, cartelized the energy supply that the West r- relied upon. And That was largely because we did not, the United States did not have the uh, strong enough foreign policy at the time to try and counter that. Uh, this is a little bit different situation you know with what we're looking at in some of the rare earth minerals cobalt nickel some of that production that's necessary for the uh, production of batteries and in particular for uh, uh, ev batteries uh, it's a little bit different situation uh, but a lot of the same elements still apply
0: i want to get to the opac part but sticking with this ford china part really quickly it seems there's kind of two angles that's been brought up. Senator Joe Manchin has been raising concerns about whether or not Ford should be getting subsidies under the Inflation Reduction Act, considering that it is Chinese technology. And then China, on the flip side, is saying they're gonna be scrutinizing it closely to make sure that their technology isn't stolen, which has been raising some eyebrows. So what do you make of those two statements?
5: Well, I think this goes a a little bit into the question of whether we're pushing uh some of this technology a little too quickly you know if it's going beyond what the market can actually handle you know if we if we need to be subsidizing forward for uh for sourcing these materials and you know perhaps we've gone a step or two beyond what, what the market can actually handle and that always presents uh, adverse consequences uh uh but again i think a lot of it comes back to you know looking at it in, in the broader picture not just the, the economic side but but the strategic side uh, you know, should we be entering into agreements with a potential geopolitical adversary, uh, especially one with the uh, that presents the uh, human rights abuses that uh, and the threat to uh, uh, peace in Western Pacific uh, vis-a-vis Taiwan.
0: And on that strategic side, Kelly, you did mention earlier the example of OPEC. And it seems we might be seeing a new version of that. Indonesia has been considering starting a new OPEC in terms of nickel. And there's been talks about that in several other countries. So where do you see this going?
5: You know, while those min- minerals are uh, you know, exceptionally important and getting more and more important, they aren't quite the driving force of the economy that... That oil was in the nineteen seventies. So there's so there's that component. The other part of that is there are other countries involved. Uh, Canada is a is a major uh, a producer of, of nickel. So again, I think you know you have to balance on on one hand, uh, you know, the the economic trade arguments of you know where should, where should we be sourcing these materials that makes the most economic sense for the U.S. and for our manufacturers. I would much rather see that done through free trade agreements with uh, countries like Indonesia and with China, as opposed to cartilization.
0: And Kelly, on that note, kind of zooming out to the geopolitical stage, how do you see this push for renewables and this reliance on the Chinese market impact, say, the current so-called Cold War or potential hot war between the U.S. and China, and especially with Taiwan caught in the middle? How do you see all of this playing together?
2: Well,
5: there's a lot of elements there. First of all, obviously, if if we are relying more on on renewables, that means, you know, more, uh, more solar panels, which require a lot of rare earth minerals, requires more uh, battery technology, which requires a lot of those rare earth minerals that we talked about earlier. And a lot of that is going to be sourced from China. So we're going to find ourselves sort of in potentially in the same place we did with, uh, with OPEC, where we are now going to be dependent on a potential adversary for a large part, if not the bulk, but a large part of our electrical supply. And you look at it with uh, with Taiwan, 95% at least of Taiwan's energy is imported, mostly from uh, natural gas. They're shutting down their nuclear program right now, which I believe is a mistake. Uh, but in terms of how that particular conflict is going to start, I don't think China even has to invade. All China has to do is blockade Taiwan and turn the lights off
0: and kelly on that note what would a good energy policy for the u.s to begin with look like because it seems especially after the recent chinese spy balloon there were fears of an emp attack that could wipe out the u.s grid so it seems that's much more in the focus what would a good policy look like
5: i think the united states really needs to seriously consider uh nuclear energy Um, i think we do have to recognize that there are environmental consequences to coal and, uh, and, and fossil fuels, uh, and we may need our fossil fuels for other other things. I think I don't think uh, electricity is going to uh, completely displace uh, fossil fuels for transportation, for instance, uh, but I think we need a, a domestic energy policy that prioritizes nuclear, and I think we need a foreign uh, energy policy that prioritizes our uh, relations with our allies and takes a very... Realistic strategic look at how th- how things are shaping up uh, internationally, and how our decisions are going to impact that, whether it's in terms of our relations with uh, uh, China or Russia, uh, or how we're going to support potential allies such as Europe or Taiwan.
0: And Kelly, with all the different areas covered, any final words?
5: Well, I think we. Uh, Again, it's just it's. it's, I think it's a matter of applying some realism to to energy policy. You know, uh, shortly after the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, Europe was kind of slapped in the face with reality in terms of of energy policy. And uh, you know, for years they embraced a lot of these green technologies. Uh, You know, Germany, for instance, banned fracking, it banned coal, it banned nuclear, uh, which pretty much left it with uh, imported natural gas, which they from Russia, which they. Uh, kind of did quietly well when that was cut off they were suddenly left with nothing and which is why germany even with a uh, minority government that includes the green party has been delaying the shutdown of their nuclear plants, has put coal plants back online
0: kelly thank you so much for joining us great to have you on the show great for being here thank you that's all for today's china in focus i'm tiffany meyer if you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover send us an email at chinainfocus@ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.